In these uncertain times, it can be hard to make sense of everything that is happening across the world today. This is why the registry continues to bring its grounded and informed news coverage of everything real estate, to keep you informed and better prepared to meet the challenges of the industry. We are able to deliver the reliable news you trust because of generous readers who support our work. Thank you to your commitment to journalism, especially now. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you can join us at theregistrysf.com in San Francisco and theregistryps.com in Seattle. Today we sit down with Shannon Lowe, who is the founder and CEO of Seattle-based Hatchback Cottages. Hatchback was created to increase housing options in Seattle while complementing the character of the neighborhoods people love. By generating the opportunity for supplemental income, Hatchback can help stabilize homeowners and create options for their future, which helps families and communities stay connected. The company encourages and empowers every owner to participate in the housing economy, using their backyard to positively shape equitable growth. Hatchback is driven by a team of committed designers, analysts, contractors, and advisors who share in the belief in backyard cottages as an innovative housing solution. People come to the San Francisco Bay Area for many reasons, a spectacular natural setting, a sophisticated lifestyle, and unique professional opportunities. Those seeking these qualities will find all that and more at Hacienda where you can work, live, and grow. A Hacienda location means having the best of everything with an easy reach. Whether it's world-class restaurants, theater, and museums, the best learning institutions in the country, or some of the finest services available. That particularly applies to businesses wanting the best address to have easy access to needed resources, being among other industry leaders and knowing that you are part of a region that leads the world in innovation. The result? An unbeatable combination that leads to success. And that is what you will find at Hacienda. Find out more by visiting Hacienda on the web at www.hacienda.org. Shannon, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, Vlad. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. So uh, where do we find you today? Where are you? Uh, at my office in Seattle. Excellent, excellent. So um, just as a way of introduction, uh, Shannon, would you mind giving us a little bit of a, of a kind of, you know, background to, to you, your business, and then let's dive into Hatchback and uh, what you guys are doing there. Yeah, great. Thanks for the, thanks for the time and the opportunity here, Vlad. Uh, so I'm an entrepreneur focused on using real estate and design to have positive social impact. I'm the CEO of Hatchback Cottages. I'm also the CEO of Six Impact Development Company. We provide strategic real estate services to a variety of clients, including developers, cities, high net worth individuals. And along the way, we incubate new ventures, mostly in housing, using real estate and design, particularly those with some degree of double or triple bottom line results. Uh, Hatchback Cottages is one of those ventures that's come out of FIX. I have a pretty varied background. I'm an architect uh, with a background also beginning in marketing and filmmaking. I spent a couple of years at IDEO uh, in Palo Alto. Sure. And have just really enjoyed 
creating innovative double bottom line solutions with anything that has to do with place. Yeah. So you you mentioned this double line, triple line. I know what what those are. You know what those are. But just for the benefit of our of our listeners, can can you just quickly describe what that means? Sure. Yeah. Double bottom line is a phrase that refers to two motivations, two bottom lines that we might hold ourselves accountable to as a as a business. One is, of course, the fiscal or financial, uh, making sure there's return for one's investors or energy put in. And then the second is from a sustainable or a social perspective. And those are the other two that get you to a triple bottom line. So in addition to making a return, how else is your venture or your business providing for broader social positive impact and or broader sustainability goals? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And that's that's obviously very important. And I think it's a I think it's important to highlight that because um, this is, uh, you know, a big aspect of your business, obviously. Right. Not just something that, you know, you're not just launching a new business, but but there's there's interesting meaning behind there as well. So, yeah. So let's let's talk about hatchback. Tell us, you know, what what is hatchback? You know, what are you guys um, trying to accomplish there? How did the idea of hatchback come about? Yeah, Hatchback is a Seattle-based housing venture. We provide a complete turnkey solution for homeowners to have a backyard cottage on their property. We basically enable homeowners to capture or take advantage of the inherent value of property they already own, meaning their their single-family home, whether that's as an individual homeowner or as an investor owner who owns multiple single-family properties, with the carrot of providing supplemental income, as well as increasing the stability for that family and creating options for their future. So this is a pretty varied opportunity for a homeowner to uh, create options for themselves with a pretty standard piece of real estate, which is the single family zone property. And by adding an additional unit, they create all kinds of opportunity for themselves. Right. And then, and in essence, this is what's also referred to as sort of the, you know, the in-law unit or the granny unit. Um, ADU is another term that's, that's often used. Um, there's been a lot about this whole kind of ADU uh, notion over the last decade or so. It's been touted as one of the possible solutions for our housing shortage. Would you give us a little bit of an, kind of an overview of how that's evolved over the last decade or so? Uh, it's not necessarily a novel concept. I mean, there, there have been cottages built in the backyard and that kind of stuff. But, but I think this is a little more, a little more than that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's sort of this marvelous little irony where you've got this very standard tried and true product, which is the single family type and single family construction, which is effectively what a, a cottage is. It's a small single family home. But it does all of these different things for cities and individuals and communities that um, we don't really associate uh, with the single family form. So a backyard cottage technically is a detached accessory dwelling unit, or referred to as a DADU. That's a detached version of an accessory dwelling unit. So you can have one attached to your house, meaning an in-law or uh, a basement apartment. These are detached, so they're an entirely separate structure. They're not teeny houses, which also have quite a bit of uh, attention uh, around them these days. A teeny house is 
a very small structure that's built upon a, a trailer that can fit uh, and run on a federal highway standard. This is not them. Backyard cottages have their own foundation. They are not mobile homes, they are fixed. Um, but they're effectively a small house. They can range depending on what municipality you're in and what those land use uh, codes govern. They can scale anyway from a few hundred square feet all the way up to about a thousand square feet. So they're significant. You can have two, three bedroom units uh, in your backyard. Yeah. And I think in the state of Washington and especially in California also, these have been there's been some laws passed to allow the construction and development of these. So you guys are kind of coming into the into the space, sort of following, you know, some regulation and kind of formalizing perhaps this market. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for pointing that out. Right. So let's just step back for a moment in history. So these have been legal in Seattle for about 10 years. They've only just begun to get a lot of attention, um, and that's partly because of our recent new upgrade to our, our land use code, which makes it even easier to have them. Um, most municipalities throughout the country allow for some form of accessory structure on your property. And it's one of the things that we love about this, right? These are individual homeowners' properties that you know, we're all kind of accustomed to uh, running and building and operating our property sort of with our own our own sovereignty, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing for the most part. There are restrictions what you can and can't do with your own property, but having a backyard cottage for the most part is fairly standard for most municipalities, particularly in those around denser urban areas. Not the most dense, right? Because you need single family zoning ultimately to have an ADU on the property. It is an accessory to the primary dwelling. So in areas where you're seeing high growth, the Bay Area, Seattle, uh, elsewhere throughout the country, you're having an increase in thirst for additional units where you have a vast majority of the land actually being comprised of single family zoning. And so there's a conflict between the growth and the density goals of that city that make for the accessory dwelling unit to be a really fantastic solution. Um, again, kind of back to that double bottom line scenario. Right. Is this is this mainly something that will be used in an urban setting? It, it's, what you're asking is fundamentally tied to the economics of construction costs and right. rent. So the vast majority of homeowner is going to have a particular use case for their, for their backyard cottage. We're finding our customers have a particular set of interests. They may vary and change over time, or they may have more than one, but they either want to rent them or house a family member. Those are the two primary uses. In order to do that, you've got to build this and front the capital cost, whether it's by financing or, or cash. And so you then need to make sure that your rent is going to cover that cost in a way that satisfies you, or if you're putting mom or your son in there, that the funds that you might have that family member spend elsewhere are commensurate with what it costs to build the unit. So in general, we are finding that they're not necessarily in the dense urban areas, but they are in the metropolitan urban areas. So again, San Francisco, where you have 49 square acres as a city, for the most part, the core is where you see high density. Yeah. But the vast majority of San Francisco, like Seattle, is fairly low density. 66% of Seattle is comprised of single-family zoning. We have 135,000 single-family lots in the city itself. 95,000 of them can host a cottage by code today. 
Yeah, and 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 this is why I was I was going to follow up for the uh, on on that question. My interest is also, you know, how does this compare across the rest of the country? You know, are you looking at basically kind of suburban settings, kind of interurban, you know, sort of somewhere between urban and suburban, which means then are you primarily going to look at, you know, major kind of metropolitan areas around the country or is this something that, you know, could even be done in, you know, smaller towns? across across the country yeah absolutely they can be done in any location i think every municipality is going to be wise to allow for the the local code to at the very least let homeowners consider this now we've been passing legislation in the state of washington not just within the, the city of seattle but across the entire state both house and senate to allow for removal of some of the boundaries that that land use code have to to proliferate and encourage more backyard cottages. There's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't want to put a backyard cottage on your property. It, it's only accretive in terms of its value. Again, it gets back a little bit to the local cost of construction relative to what you plan to do with that unit and what you plan to do with the entire property as a whole. But for the most part, adding this kind of value is akin to the idea of improving your house, where uh, provided you're going to build in a quality manner, adding a kitchen and a bath, et cetera, tends to increase the value of the property. Yeah. So you've identified sort of a couple of, you know, primary uses for your product or for an ADU product in general. What about the 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 people themselves? Are 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 the, you know, people who are interested in this, you know, primarily younger? Are they getting a loan for this? Is this sort of, are they paying cash? Like, you know, tell us a little bit about what that sort of spectrum looks like in terms of, you know, the folks that are that are interested in um, acquiring one of these and building them in their backyard. Yeah, it, it's a really broad spectrum, right? And I think that the background underlying context, I think, is important to lay down, which is that for the most part, in most major markets, we've got a housing crisis. And the public sector and nonprofit development companies or organizations are doing a good job, but we're so far behind in terms of the number of units required to bring the supply up to have an effect, significant enough effect on the cost of rental, that we, we're just not catching up relying on those two options, the public sector and nonprofit. And so tapping into the development capacity of the individual homeowner and enabling people to participate in the housing economy and begin to allow the single family homeowner to shape and participate in how their community approaches growth and density and actually shape that rather than allowing for the public sector to do it. That's really what's driving the interest. Yeah. The specific cases that we're seeing around what kind of demographics and what kind of uses are folks interested in pursuing run the gamut. So we have a customer now who's very clearly going to be moving into the unit and renting out their house. And they're motivated by supplemental income and the desire to upgrade their home without renovating underneath their own feet. Another customer is clear that they're just going to rent out the unit out back. Uh, a third is going to rent the unit part-time and then on a short-term basis and then have the grandma and grandpa come visit and provide regular childcare during the, uh, the low period of the week. Right. So sort of a, a split model for themselves. And then others still are looking at their aging parents and not feeling like they want to put them into independent living or assisted living, given some of the current thoughts on, on that kind of that kind of opportunity, given, given health concerns. So it really varies quite a bit. Um, and that's what we like about the business, 
is it seems to be fairly uh, agnostic to the demographic and appeals to a wide variety of homeowners. Yeah. And then it also seems to appeal across uh, economic contexts, both up market and down market. Yeah. And how big are these homes typically? Um, and I think I know the answer, but I just wanted to kind of get your perspective. And also, you know, how are they built? And I mean that, you know, from a manufactured sort of home point of view, or is it sort of built on site? Tell us how that world is shaping also. So backyard cottages are being constructed in every manner you could imagine, just as all of our single family homes are being constructed. They range from on-site stick-built or balloon frame to some form of panelization or prefabrication, all the way up to modular and craned in by shipping volume of air and and craning in the units. So they run the gamut. And the same thing's true of the foundation. You can have pin piles, you can have slab on grade, typical crawl space with a perimeter wall, the whole the whole range, right? We what what's I think interesting here is that the backyard cottage is effectively creating new demand for the single family form. And we're gonna see new ways of finding innovative construction methodologies come out as that demand drives scale. And I think the key underlying component of that is that the, if the demand can stay consistent through up and down cycle in the market, we will effectively be able as a, as a real estate community begin to find ways of innovating with prefabrication that we couldn't before. It's my own personal view that the reason we haven't really made bigger strides in prefabrication is in part due to the fact that just as the market starts to peak in its construction cost and look for alternatives, we then see the bottom fall out and we have a correction. And so the ability to go to factories and tool up to provide for prefabrication then evaporates. So if there's a steady stream of demand for a similar or the same type of unit design, particularly in a geographic region, then you can start to create that pipeline that starts to make factory construction work really smoothly. You can also start to do the same thing with efficiencies with on-site construction as well. I don't think this is just about prefabrication. I think this is about finding efficiency in all manner of construction of single family. Right, right. So let's get back to hatchback, right? So you've you've given us a really good overview of sort of the market and kind of how that, you know, is 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 laid out across the country and also locally, but tell us, you know, what's different about hatchback? What's different about hatchback is that when you look at the market of backyard cottage, you mostly see that folks are just selling the widgets there's the cottage itself and it's a product and they're selling all kinds of versions of that, whether it's a fancy one or a simple one or a modern looking one or a traditional. But when you look at the market, you understand that there's actually a much stronger set of issues that are creating friction and keeping people from adopting this, even though there's an intense market thirst for the backyard cottage. And what we see is that there are some challenges around financing and some challenges around project management that really keep folks from deciding to proceed, even though they have plenty of evening kitchen counter discussions over wanting one of these. And so what we've done is we've set up the business to effectively solve for those particular issues around financing and project management. 
we also, in, of course, provide the design and the widget. We think we've got a great widget, actually. We have a series of award-winning designers that have created a series of styles and sizes that you can choose from, all that fit within the average size of your units. But before getting to the widget, we offer a whole suite of services that help reduce that friction and provide the best financing product with the best competitive rate, and then manage that whole application process of the loan with and for the, the customer, and then deliver a suite of what I'd call sort of what's typically just re- thought of as large-scale commercial real estate smarts yeah. for the individual homeowner. So where you might normally run a bunch of perform analysis and a bunch of economic analysis on a given site and due diligence, the average homeowner does not have access to that kind of intelligence. They don't have access to comparable rents necessarily. They don't have access to the financial literacy of running pro forma of different scenarios, whether you're gonna short-term rental for a period or a long-term rental, or comparing the return on that versus putting mom into a independent living facility. Right. So what really differentiates us is the suite of services that we provide in advance of the widget by helping homeowners identify financing and run economic analysis to help them make informed decisions about which cottage, what size, and when, and under what financing terms to build them. Right. And when you and I were talking about this earlier, also you talked about sort of a very kind of complex algorithm right in the background that kind of helps engage some of the interested parties at the onset of this process. Tell us a little bit about sort of how you guys built that and what that entails. So one of the things that we learned early on that we had to do was provide for the homeowner a simple and easy way to understand what the net effect will be on their home economics by building a backyard cottage. And that's fairly simple math for folks in real estate, but it's fairly difficult to do with accuracy and intelligence for diverse homeowners on an automated basis. And if our business is going to succeed at all, it's going to be in driving down the cost of sale by using smart technology where appropriate to help homeowners understand the ramifications of a cottage for them and the benefits without having to sit on the phone with every one of them for a couple hours at a time in advance of making the decision. So what we've done is we've built a web application with just providing one bit of information, which is your address, will in the back end run a series of calculations and provide for every homeowner a tailored individualized report that shows them what the future financing costs will be and what the net cash flow will be relative to what they're currently paying on their mortgage. And that is based on current rates. It's based on the value of their property. It's based on the understanding of what average rents are in their neighborhood. So hopefully what this web application tool does is speeds up the decision-making process by making homeowners feel more informed and more aware of their options and showing them real numbers and real math. Yeah. And I think it's, is it, is it relevant to say that this is working in Seattle or in the Puget Sound region for now, but it will expand further as time goes on? That's exactly right. What we've been very conscientious to do is to say, okay, let's start in Seattle. Let's show this market, how this works. But let's build this in a way where it's very easy to simply uh, expand the APIs or expand the databases for different regions, right? So there's nothing in our back-end system that would preclude us from rolling out in 
different municipalities, whether that's the Portland area or the San Francisco Bay Area. Right. So, so tell us about the models a little bit. You know, what? How should people, you know, look at them? What do you think is going to be exciting about when when people look look at these these little homes? And how would you how would you characterize them? Yeah, the the component of our cottages that we're most proud of is the variety, the variety of design. Often, when you look at other companies, you really have limited choice of style. And when we looked around the market here, one of the things that we very quickly understood is everybody's backyard, everybody's home is very different from their neighbors. Right. And so naturally, they're going to want a differentiation of style and size. And so we created three different styles with three very different roof lines, three very different siding systems, three very different windows, uh, window arrangement. And then, of course, there's any infinite number of colors that you can pick, including if you want us to match the color of your house, we'll, we'll do that. And then the interiors are also quite different. So a very different sensibility, very different sense of style. But all of them have been designed with two unit sizes to try to figure out how to fit within the lifestyles that we're seeing within market, whether that's a relatively efficient small-scale unit or a fairly fairly robust single-family scale unit. Right? We have a unit that goes up to 1,000 square feet, yeah. two bedrooms, a very generous a uh, very generous two-bedroom unit, and then one or two with uh, the option for putting in an, uh, a covered garage. But they're all built slab-on grade. We believe in building with 75-year build construction quality. That's part of our sustainability ethos. So let's not build something disposable. And then, of course, they're all built to another metric of sustainability, which here locally is is quite significant, which is the built green uh, certification process, and we're building another four-star level certification. And they're also just playful. They're playful and fun. What we really ultimately wanted to do is make sure that these were Instagrammable, Yeah. right? That if a homeowner is going to build one of these, that they're going to be able to post it on the rental ad and know that it's going to get picked up really quickly. Or that if they were going to choose to move into it after a few years so that they could downsize and retire, that they were going to be excited about that. And that if a investor owner wanted to put one into their backyard that he knew that the materials and the overall pricing was set in such a way as to help them with their return as a landlord and not drive unnecessary costs. So we're really trying to balance all of those different variables in the different sizes and styles right. and finished packages. Yeah. And where will your homes be built? Our backyard cottages will be built throughout all of Seattle. We'll start in Seattle. Uh, in this market here alone, I mentioned there are 95,000 lots yep. that can host a cottage by code today. We've done some pretty significant analysis using GIS, some demographics and economic slicing that has us focused on about 15,500 low-hanging fruit right here in just in the city of Seattle alone. So we'll focus on different neighborhoods here where we think these have a positive impact for the homeowner and that work well for the given rent levels. But in terms of our growth, we feel like all markets are open. Right. We're, we're excited to, to start pursuing this here in Seattle and then quickly move beyond. Our cottages will be built on-site using traditional stick frame construction. As we begin to scale, we anticipate quickly moving into some variety, some degree of prefabrication. Yeah. I don't believe we will ever go to the level of modular, and that's because of our interest in providing for 
the urban context where the mobilization of a crane and all the associated costs and impacts typically won't make a lot of sense economically for dropping one, two, or three units in a place and then demobilizing. So instead, what we're really focused on is how can our units be comprised more of a kit of parts where not like the Sears catalog homes, but where qualified partner contractors working with us are assembling fairly traditional methods of construction, but from parts that have been pre-cut and pre-bored and labeled and then delivered just in time at the right sequence so that the on-site team's assembly is much faster, much more efficient with much less waste. Right. But for now, in the early phases, we will be focused on on-site construction, getting our quality right, getting our units dialed, and allowing for the pipeline of scale to increase. That will then give us more of that buying power with factory uh, prefabrication. Yeah. So the company has launched. Everything is ready to go. Tell us a little bit about what kind of you know interest and demand you're already getting. Yeah, we're we're live and launched, and we've been really thrilled with the demand. We've pretty much filled up our calendar year for construction starts, and we're now looking into 2021 with a roughly 95-day construction cycle. That's 95-working-day construction cycle. Somebody in the construction start of January is renting or having their mom in their backyard by April. We're starting to look further out, but it's still a pretty quick cycle. We are, um, as I mentioned, you know, focused on that first 15,500. So that's an enormous number of units. Yeah. Um, and we've got some work to do to get to that scale, but we feel like there's not a real ceiling on this. And then what about your plans for the, for the rest of the year? I mean, you've, um, you've kind of launched right as this uh, new cycle is starting, right? What will be a great, you know, 2020, a great 2021 for you and your investors? And, you know, how, how do you guys hope that, uh, you know, this, this kickoff will, uh, will uh, take place? Yeah, so far we are, uh, we're on target and we're feeling very positive about this, despite the fact that this is obviously a very difficult and challenging time for a number of reasons. Our interest is to begin a certain number of construction starts per month and then ramp that up uh, at an even clip until we idle at a, at a pace we're comfortable with, with doing site construction. At that point, we'll start to transition to looking at prefabrication. Uh, we expect that that transition to happen somewhere at the end of next year or early 2022. But you, you bring up a, a good point about the market, and I wonder if it isn't worth talking about that a little bit, sure, yeah. which is to say that, yeah, so a, a positive uh, up market obviously has folks relatively flush, making improvements and a little bit more mobile. So there's more inventory turning over of single family. And as folks transition from one home to the next, consider making improvements, whether that's before selling or once they've just moved into a home. And the capital tends to be there. People are paid well and they've got good outlook about the future. On a down market, what we're finding, uh, as most people know, is that the mobility decreases. Inventory, depending, can, can decrease sometimes or increase depending on local conditions. Yeah. But that people are starting to look to invest in what they already have and make use of investments that they already made. 
So how can they capitalize on the property they already own? And how can they create more return from the existing asset? So supplemental income becomes all the more meaningful and more valuable. Equally, so too does bringing in more family members to the property where that family member might be spending capital elsewhere, might as well keep it in the family, so to speak, on the property. And then we're also interested in seeing how construction costs start to shift as a result of that. With a down market, you tend to see that come down. Sure. You also see rates stay considerably lower, so lending becomes meaningful. And then, of course, in a COVID environment, we're seeing, obviously, a lot more work from home. And so the desire for more space increases. Yeah. And then the tolerance to have an elder living in a larger community maybe reduces some for those who are a little bit more conservative in that way. And then, of course, kids aren't going off to college in the same way, at least in the near term. So, or if they've just come back from college, how might we think about housing them? Yeah, put them in the backyard and have them take their online classes out of there, right? <laughs> Be one, exactly. one, one way exactly. to accomplish that. Yeah, sure. And instead of paying rent for your son somewhere across town, why not have him live in your backyard while you appreciate faster, grow equity faster, and and not pay your rent to another landlord. That's right, that's right. Shannon, tell us, how can people find out more about Hatchback? Yeah, they can go to our website. It's hatchbackcottages.com. And uh, they can use the web app tool there and contact us and uh, reach out at any point. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you giving us uh, more insight into into this uh, evolving space for residential real estate. Uh, Best of luck to you, and uh, we'll check in on you in a few months to see how things are going. That's great, Vlad. Thanks very much for the time. I appreciate being part of that. 